Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 4, going through verse 25. And it reads as follows, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Now this is right after immediately the stoning of Stephen, the martyrdom of Stephen. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. And there were much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a certain man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, men and women alike. And even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the hands of the apostles, he offered them money. And saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I laid my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, if possible, pray to the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And this is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God. We thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for the gift of salvation, for the gift of Christ. And Lord, May we be, as the early church, going about declaring Christ, preaching Jesus, and Father, that we would see many, many come to know Christ. 
And Father, we thank you. And now, Father, turn our hearts to you. Father, Lord God, bind every distraction. That, Lord, that we would worship you through the receiving of the word of God. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm taking a departure today from uh, the epistle of 1 John. Um, we're going to find ourselves actually here in Acts chapter 8. Today we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 35, and I've entitled uh, this message, Being an Effective Witness for Christ. You know, I think one of the most critical things for believers today is not only to acquire head knowledge regarding Christ, regarding the gospel, regarding the scriptures, but to incorporate that head knowledge, to unify that head knowledge with a love of God in the heart. And if we unify it with the love of God in the heart, we will indeed be an effective witness for Christ. And I want to share something because witnesses do several things, don't they? Number one, witnesses speak. What good is a witness if the witness does not speak? Secondly, the witness tells the truth, is compelled to tell the truth. And thirdly, witnesses do. What do I mean? Witnesses go into action. Witnesses are active. They're not dormant. They're not idle. Today, I want to challenge every one of us, and I want to put me at the top of that list. I want to challenge every one of us to examine ourselves and say, are we being active, effective witnesses for Christ? That if we could be, like I mentioned to you during the prayer time, like the Apostle Paul, that 1,958 years later, lives are being impacted for the kingdom of God as a result of that man's brief life and his brief testimony. Now, most of us will not get the opportunity to go overseas. We may not get the opportunity to speak to, uh, bring the gospel to unknown tribes and unknown uh, uh, groups of people. But I want to I submit something to you right now. And you need to be able to, to really be able to understand this. It's very, very simple. In our community today, with many of the people that we interact with on a daily basis, there are many who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You would think, oh, that can't happen in America, but that is in fact true. There are many today that have not heard the clear proclamation of the gospel. There are many who don't know that the only way to heaven is through Christ, that forgiveness of sin is found in Christ, that new life is found in Jesus Christ. And so if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, I want to share that you're already equipped to be able to share the gospel. 
And today we're going to be looking at Acts. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 29 through 35. I want to give you a little bit of background to the text, just a brief background to the text. The church was already born at Pentecost. The Spirit of God came down. The church was born. As we just saw at the beginning of chapter 8, Stephen was already martyred. There was already persecution against the church, this infant church. But thousands and thousands and thousands are being saved. They're coming to Christ in repentance and faith. The church was on the move. The church was on the move. And as we pick up our text in Acts chapter 8, as I mentioned, Stephen has been martyred, and we're introduced to this person named Philip. And we're going to talk a little bit about Philip. And as Philip goes and shares the gospel. And we're going to see in our text five principles, five principles for what I would like to say is being an effective witness of Christ. And we're going to walk through those five principles, but I'm going to give them to you right now. Five principles for being an effective witness for Christ. Number one is to be led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. Number two is to act in obedience. Number three is to ask correct or right questions. Number four is to speak the scriptures. And number five is to preach slash proclaim Jesus. Let's take a look at the text and let's see these five principles in play in the life of Philip. First, I'll read through the text, and then we'll go through each one verse by verse. Verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall relate to his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And here we're going to see the first principle, led by the Spirit. Look at verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Prior to this encounter, Philip was chosen to be a deacon. We see this in Acts chapter 6 as they appoint deacons. Now, I want to tell you, the reasons that deacons were appointed were simply and solely to wait on tables. There was a controversy that had arose with the Hellenistic Jews. Those are Jewish people that were raised in the Greek language and culture. And they felt they were not being, um, they were being discriminated against in the allocation of food in Jerusalem. So the apostle said, look, it's not good for us to be able to be concerned with this. Let us raise up 
you know, six men full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, to be able to attend these, to these things, that we may put them in charge. And we see that in Acts 6.3. And the key here of choosing deacons was that they were men full of the Holy Spirit. I want you to, I want you to grasp that. They're men full of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have come to Christ in repentance and faith, the scripture is very clear that anyone who comes to Christ in repentance and faith is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Indwelt. This is the temple. There's no longer a temple in Jerusalem. God doesn't build, as Paul said, God does not dwell in buildings built by men. This is the temple of the Lord. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? I don't know if we grasp that concept enough, that the Spirit of God dwells in the being of the believer. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Philip was not an apostle. Philip was a deacon, and Philip was an evangelist. What's an evangelist? One who goes out and declares the evangel. One who goes out and declares the gospel. Philip didn't have a background like Paul had of theological rich background in the Old Testament. But Philip, we could see, had an obedient heart. And yet Philip, despite not having all of the accolades and all of the background, had power. He had power to preach, power to proclaim the gospel because the Spirit of God was in him. But not only was the Spirit of God in him, but he was full of the Holy Spirit. And we see this, if you look in Acts 8, verse 5, it says, And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. I don't have time to jump into the whole significance of Samaritans, but Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They were the descendants of the 10 missing tribes that were destroyed. Why were they destroyed? Because they integrated with the pagan societies that were around them. And to a a true Jew in first century Palestine, Samaritans were held in contempt. And now look where the gospel goes. He goes down to Samaria and he begins preaching the gospel. Notice Philip's heart. In verses 26 and 27, it says, But the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And notice the parentheses. This is a desert road. And he arose and he went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch of the court of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship Philip is led by the Spirit. He is led by the Spirit. And notice this. He is led by the Spirit out of Jerusalem into a road that leads to Gaza. Gaza is desert. Not too many people live in the desert. 
But the spirit, an angel told him, go, and he acts in obedience, and he goes, and he encounters this government official. Says an Ethiopian eunuch, but one who was in charge of all her treasures. It would be comparable to the secretary of the treasury today. And he, and, and he goes down there, and God has a divine appointment for Philip. And I want you to note two things. Number one, about being led by the Spirit. Number one, Philip heard, he perceived, spiritually perceived the voice of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, he did not only hear it, but he obeyed and went. He didn't waffle. He said, what are you sending me into the desert for? What am I going to do in the desert? Who's in the desert? What am I going to talk to the roadrunner or something like that? What am I going to do in the desert? He just heard the Spirit led and he went and he went in the confidence of the Spirit. One quick thought regarding that first principle about being led in the Spirit. To be led by the Holy Spirit. Now this is important. I want you to get this. To be led by the Holy Spirit, one has to know the Spirit. To know the Spirit, you can only know the Spirit through prayer, contemplation, and meditation upon the Word of God. You see, as we know God, as we understand God, that is what equips us to be able to worship God and to hear his voice. If we're not in prayer, we'll never hear the voice of the Spirit. The Word of God is truth. The Holy Spirit is God's enabling power to accomplish the things of God's Word. An effective witness for Christ must, must be led by the Spirit. There are many systems out there today. There are many people who advocate for various methods of apologetics, and and, and all that stuff is good. But if we reduce the proclamation of the gospel to a few methodical steps, we miss the mark. That was attempted many years ago with four spiritual laws. Just get them to do one, two, three, four, and they're all good. No, we must be spirit-led. We must be praying for the Lord. Give me an opportunity. Present me opportunities. Do you ever wake up one day and say, Lord, give me one opportunity today to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone? The first step in being an effective witness for Christ is that we're being led by the Spirit. The second step we see here is to act in obedience. Look at verse 13. 30. It says, and when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said to him, do you understand what you're reading? Now imagine, Philip goes into the, de- into the desert and ironically he finds someone, the spirit leads him to that person, he runs alongside and lo and behold, he's reading out loud the word of God. Notice in verse 26, Philip was instructed to go into that desert road. He was instructed. And herein we find the second principle of being an effective witness 
of being a faithful witness to Christ. And that is acting in obedience. And let me add, specifically, it is acting in obedience to the Spirit's prompting. To the Spirit's prompting. In verse 25, the Holy Spirit tells Philip, go up and join the chariot. Imagine if you saw the secretary of the treasury's motorcade running up and the Spirit of God said, go up to that limo and go talk to the secretary of the treasury. I think in each and every one of us, there would be a certain amount of hesitation. But here we see Philip's obedience as he acts in obedience in verse 30. The scripture states, not only does it state, go up and join, but the scripture continues. And when Philip had run up, he did it. He did exactly what the Spirit, why? He was being led by the Spirit, so the Spirit was leading him, and now he's acting in full obedience. And it forces me to think of how many times, how many times you have felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit How many times when you were overwhelmed and you knew it was the Spirit asking you to do something or to speak to someone only to feel that terrible conviction when you did not? It's happened to me more times than I care to remember. When the Spirit moves you, sometimes the Spirit moves you in the most bizarre manner in a way that doesn't seem to make any sense. You may be walking down the street and you may pass a a homeless person on the street and the Spirit of God may say, go speak to that person about the gospel. Go buy that person some lunch. Go reach out and do acts of kindness. Show the love of Christ. And we have a tendency to rationalize it in our heads. It doesn't matter. You know, they're only going to take the money and use it for drugs. They're only going to do this. They're only going to do that. I remember one time many years ago, I'm not going to get into it, but Barbara and I were in Savannah, Georgia, where that exact situation happened to me. And I could not peel my eyes off this person. I went down the block and I began to talk to him and he was in dire straits. And we engaged in a conversation And I said, when was the last time you ate something? He said, I haven't eaten in two days. I said, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to buy you some food. What is it that you want? He gave me his order. I went and I bought the food. I gave him the food. I said, I give you this in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that Christ loves you. And I want you to know that Christ died for your sins. And I started preaching the gospel to him. Right? And this guy looked about as bad as bad could be right? And I gave him the gospel. And he said, well, it's too late for me, is what he said. A few days ago, I got out of the hospital. I'm dying of cancer. They said, I only have a few days, a few weeks. And he said, so it's too late. I'm a dead man. And I looked at this guy. His name was John, as a matter of fact. I looked at this guy, and I said, brother, you could die on earth today. But if you repent of your sins, and turn to Christ, you will be with God in glory. And he looked at me straight in the face and said, like the thief on the cross, right? I said, like the thief on the cross. I prayed for him in the street right there in Savannah. 
He was a street person. All of the dirt and the smells were associated. And we prayed right there. I gave him his lunch. I said, brother, I'm probably never going to see you again. But I want you to remember, if you turn to Christ, he will save you from your sins. You won't fear death. He'll save you from his sins. I walked away, and I was sobbing, sobbing. And I always remember that when the prompting first came, he actually came up and asked me for a few bucks. Say, hey, you have any loose change? And I, and I, in my cockiness and arrogance, said, hey, if I give you money, are you going to use this for drugs or alcohol? No, no, man, I haven't had anything to eat. I gave him whatever change and whatever dollars I had, and I watched him go down the street, and I remember I could not take my eyes off of him. And I just followed him, followed him, and the Spirit of God prompted my heart, I want you to go after that man. I want you to talk to him. That may not have seemed sense. If I wasn't being led by the Spirit, if, if the Spirit of God, I could rationalize that away. But there's many times that the Spirit of God prompts us and He prompts us to act, and it's always not a perfect situation. It may be a situation that makes no sense at all. A situation that may be fraught with risk, serious risk. Maybe you're going to get physically assaulted. Maybe they're going to mock you. Maybe they're going to do all these other different things. But it is nonetheless a prompting of the Spirit of God. You know, many times when the Spirit of God prompts us accordingly, it is to test our obedience. Many times we think, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. Boy, something great is going to happen. And you know what? Something great does not happen for what we see, but we responded in faith. And that's what Philip did. The scripture declares that Philip obeyed. And as to be an effective witness for Christ, we must Always act in obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen, all effective evangelizing, all witnessing for Christ must be led by the Spirit, and we must act in obedience. The two are in tandem. If the Spirit leads us, but we don't act, then we fail and we do not do the will of God. Here's an important note for everybody. I know everybody gets uptight when we talk about evangelizing. We get uptight about witnessing. But many times, listen, your witness is not going to be received well. Can we say that? Many times your witness is not going to be received well. Many times you're likely going to be criticized. You might be ostracized. You might be mocked. You might be laughed at. You might lose a relationship or a friendship. And in some cases, lose their life. I mean, the church is not short on martyrs, is it? Many of them took a witness for Christ and it cost their life. But we need to ask ourselves two questions regarding this. The first question is, will Christ be pleased with our faithfulness or will he be pleased with our faithlessness? That's the question we got to ask ourselves. The second question we have to ask about is, what about the soul that we bring the gospel to? What about that soul? 
That soul may be the very person who mocks. That soul may be the very person who criticizes. That soul may be the very person who ostracizes. But have we planted a seed for the kingdom of God that God now can water? God now can cause the growth. The last time I checked through the scriptures, I don't see that we as individuals are responsible for results. I see that we as individuals are responsible to plant the word of God, to sow the word of God. Someone else may come along and water and it may cause the growth, but we cannot be silent. That is not an option. We cannot be closet Christians. So here's a helpful tip. Enter into every evangelism opportunity. Prepare to be rejected. Enter it. We want to say a word and we want the person to fall down and say, I repent, what, what must I do to be saved? Enter it that you're going to be mocked. Listen, Paul was the most notorious person facing the Christian church, the Apostle Paul. And the scripture says that Paul was present at the stoning of Stephen. Now, it's conjecture on, on, on my part and on many, but many believe that Stephen's death conceivably was impactful to Paul so that when the Spirit of God intercepted his life on the road to Damascus, he could recall that testimony of Stephen. Right? So let's not ever think that even if we are rejected, that our witness is in vain. Which brings us to the third point. And it's an interesting point. Ask the right questions. Not only must we be led by the Spirit and act in obedience, but the third principle must come into play. We must ask the right questions. Note that in verse 30, the Scripture states, of Philip. He heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, what did he say? Do you understand what you are reading? Boy, that's a pointed question, right? Here he sees this non-Jewish person reading from the Old Testament. The Spirit had told him, go up, get alongside of it. He hears him reading and immediately says, do you understand what you're reading? And Philip knew what he was reading. Anybody know what he was reading? Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 he's reading. Philip knew that the man was reading, and he asked a good question. Do you know what you're reading about? Our Lord Jesus Christ was a master at asking great questions. To be an effective witness for Christ, we must ask pertinent and direct questions. Philip's question was directed to the heart of this Ethiopian official. He sees him and hears him reading the scripture and just simply asks, do you understand what you're reading? And of course, it opens up an opportunity as believers evangelism is not us 
telling habitually a script. But we want to ask good questions, questions that are directed at the heart. That's why, you know, I I like Ray Comfort's technique in that Ray Comfort asks, he begins by using the law. And he does that specifically because the law stimulates the conscience. So if you ask a person, have you ever stole anything? How many lies have you told him? Have you ever looked on a man or a woman with lust in your heart? It's stimulating the God-given consciousness and it welcomes into the conversation a sense of conviction and then following conviction, the word of God to save. You know what is the problem out there? We have presented the gospel so many times and then people ask the question, you talk about being saved, what do I have to be saved from? I'm a good person. And we've never confronted them with their sin. But in order to be effective in witnessing, we must confront sin. Christ is the solution to the sin problem. Christ is the solution to the fall of man. Without Christ, those without Christ are doomed to perish. Those without Christ will come under the judgment and the condemnation of God, which is why Christ went to the cross, which is why he became that perfect sacrifice, which is why he came down in the form of man, which is why Christ humbled himself, which is why he voluntarily gave his life, which is why he died, which is why he was risen from the dead, that once and for all there would be victory over sin. There are many times when we're speaking with folks, and tell me you've not had this uh, experience, when we're speaking to folks and they use religious expressions. Or they'll say, oh, I've been praying for this for the longest time, but nothing ever seems to matter. Or they invoke God's name, either positively or negatively. That is a great opportunity for us to step in and ask a good question. Do you know God? Do you know praying? Do you know that there's salvation in Christ? We have great opportunities given to us, and we must be able to ask very pointed questions, but point questions to the heart. Don't get engaged in politics. My goodness, don't. Don't say, what's your view on this? What's your view of that? You're a Democrat, you're a Republican. Get that out of there. You want to ask questions of the heart. And notice when Philip asked that question, notice in verse 31, he asked him that question. He said, do you understand what you're reading? What did the Ethiopian eunuch come back with? He said, and he said, well, how could I unless somebody guides me? Man, if this is not a spirit-led opportunity for evangelist, evangelism, none exist, right? One bold question by Philip, and he was invited to share the gospel with them. Paul states this in Romans 10, 17. You know this. So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How does faith come? By the proclamation of the word of God, we must get to the point where we proclaim the word of God. 
You know, many Christians say, yeah, well, pray for my loved one, pray for my friend, pray for this one. And they ask everybody to pray that the Lord would open their eyes to salvation while they themselves won't say a word. Come on, we've all had this experience. I've done it. Pray for this one, pray for that one. And yet when we're around them, we're silent. And you know what the number one issue is there? The number one issue is fear. It's fear. That's what it is. Fear that they will be rejected by those who want to reach them with the gospel. But God's word is very clear. We have to proclaim the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing. We have to proclaim. If there's no one else there, we have to proclaim that gospel, which leads us to the fourth principle. Speak the scriptures. Look at verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth. I love that. Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from the scripture, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. In verse 34, the Ethiopian asked a great question, right? He asked another question. Verse 34, he says, And the eunuch answered Philip and said to him, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Right? So he asked him, Well, how can I understand? There's an explanation. He asks a further question. Who's he speaking about? The Ethiopian wanted to know specifically who the scripture was speaking about. And he sets the stage for Philip. Now, Again, as we're tracking along, we know that Philip is led by the Spirit. We know that Philip is acting in obedience. We know that Philip is asking a great question. And now comes the fourth principle where he's going to speak the Scriptures to him. And let me just share something. Effective witnessing is not winning arguments. That's not effective witnessing. Hey, maybe you've had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and they asked you a question you didn't know. You know what? It's good to say, great question. I don't know. Let me get back to you on that particular point. I mean, I don't know everybody who knows everything about everything, right? So effective witnessing is not winning arguments. It's not about politics. It's not about getting to a prayer. Effective witnessing is about souls. That's what it's about. There has to be a burden for the soul. There has to be a compassion for the soul. You have to have the love of Christ in your soul, wanting to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about truth, and that truth is contained where? The truth is contained in the scriptures. Effective witnessing is God-centric and not man-centric. Effective witnessing proclaims the true gospel and not the person. We do not proclaim ourselves. Look again at verse 35. Look at that term. Philip opened his mouth. What did he do when he opened his mouth? He sang a song. He talked about his conversion. What did he do? He opened his mouth and beginning from that scripture, beginning from Isaiah 53... He preached Jesus to him. You know, that word preach means to herald. It means to proclaim, right? It doesn't denote a particular person. It means a a particular thing. You're a herald of the word of God. 
and you do so with authority. Let me share something with you. Every believer in Christ, every believer in Christ is a heralder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All can proclaim. And God has indwelt believers with his Holy Spirit enabling us, giving us God's enabling power to do, the, to do so. Philip opened his mouth, and now more than ever, believers in Christ, we need to open our mouth. Not about politics, but to speak the scriptures, which brings us to the fifth principle. Not only did he open his mouth and speak from the scriptures, but look at verse 35. It says, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus. That is the fifth principle. Preach or proclaim Jesus. Preach Jesus. Not yourself, not your church, not what John MacArthur said, not what this one said, not what the other one said. Preach Jesus. Tell them about Christ. And if you think about it, it all comes together. If you're led by the Spirit, if you act in obedience, ask the right question. If you speak the Scriptures, take them to the Scriptures that speak Jesus, that proclaim Jesus. You know, if you look at the early church, that's exactly what the early church did. Exactly. Turn with me in your Bibles to a few places in Acts. Turn to Acts 2, 38. Acts 2.38. This is Peter at Pentecost. The Spirit of God had descended. The first revival of the New Testament church began. And it began with a blast. In verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, the Word of God says, And Peter said to them, Repent, let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Move forward to Acts chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Again, but the things which God announced before him by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ should suffer, has thus been fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away with, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of of the Lord. Go a little bit further. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. And that is Peter speaking to the Sanhedrin. And go down a little bit further, the verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. Preach Jesus. Proclaim Jesus. Regarding this gospel, the apostle Paul made this statement, and you all know it. Romans 1.16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is 
power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel that has the power to change lives, not us. It is the gospel that a person has to believe, not us. It is the gospel that brings about conviction of sin and the power to save, not our logic, not our methodology, not our presentation method, our clothing, or anything else. We need to do as Philip did and preach Jesus to the lost. Verse 38 of Acts chapter 8 tells us what? It tells us that the Ethiopian eunuch believed and was baptized. So what's our call? What's our call to action? You know, it was my intent today that through the scriptures to stir the heart of our church. Our church is is not perfect. And I can't help but feel, and I'm speaking personally for myself, but I can't help but feel a kind of a, a lull has come over the church. And to be honest with you, I believe that repentance as a church is needed. I think we kind of slid into a little bit of a a comfort zone. Will you write down the word repentance? Just write it down if you're keeping note. And there are two very important changes that I would love to see for the church. First, that we would be a church with a bold witness for Christ. Bold witness for Christ. Secondly, that we would be a people who want to serve others and serve Christ. That we would be proactive in our faith. That we would be people that are willing to be inconvenienced that we would be a people that would be willing to sacrifice for others, knowing that there's nothing in it for ourselves, no reward, nothing at all. But in doing so, we are serving Christ and serving the body of Christ. Listen, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I'm going to say it anyway. The kingdom of God doesn't need inactive Christians. The kingdom of God needs warriors for Christ. And I fully recognize that we are a group of diverse people of different ages and different stations in life. Some in their station of life are very limited what they can do physically for the kingdom of God. But none of us are incapable of doing anything for the kingdom of God. And I want everybody right at this moment to think, how can I serve God? How can I serve the church? How can I serve my brothers and sisters in the church? How can I serve others with the love of Jesus Christ? How can I demonstrate this love to others that people would stop and say, that dude's crazy. 
That person is so kind. When, when there was a need, that person came and filled my need and they came with no expectation. And I mean this in the church and outside the church. We have to move in that direction. We have to move in that direction. We must move in that direction. We must be that kind of church. There's a second part to this. And the question we all have to ask ourselves is, how can I be an effective witness for Christ? If you have not written down the five principles, I'll just reiterate them real quick right now. But you may want to consider these things. The first one, to be led of the Holy Spirit. Pray for opportunity. Spend time in prayer and in the Scripture. The second one, act in obedience. Obey the Holy Spirit's promptings in your life. The third one, ask right questions. Ask questions that speak to the heart. The fourth one, speak the Scriptures. Do not give opinions. Do not speak politics. Rather, speak the Word of God. And the fifth one, preach slash proclaim. Jesus. Proclaim Christ. Proclaim the love of Christ. The sacrifice sacrifice of Christ. Proclaim that there is salvation in none other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Listen, it doesn't matter if you are 18 or 80. We can all be effective witnesses for Christ. Will you speak for Christ? Will you take the responsibility and the honor to speak for Jesus? Are you willing? This is a question we all got to ask. Are you willing to bear the reproach for Christ? Are you willing to be mocked? Are you willing to be laughed at? Are you willing to lose friendships? Are you willing to lose relationships by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is the reproach of Christ worth it? Is the reproach of Christ worth it? Will we be found faithful heralders of the gospel of Christ? And let me tell you something. I put myself at the top of that list. There is nothing that I have proclaimed to you that is not penetrating and self-examining to me and convicting to me. Listen, we have a bunch of tracks. We have a bunch of support materials. We have Gospels of John. Tools for you to use. I mean, simple things. How do I be saved? Good person test, the Gospel of John. It could be as simple as handing a track to a person. Can I give you this? Can I give you this? Ask the Spirit of God to lead you. Then when he does, act in obedience to his word. Remember, ask right questions when given the opportunity. Speak the scriptures. Best of all, proclaim Preach Jesus. 
Will you join me in being a follower of Christ? I need to do this in my life. I need to do this. I take responsibility for my failure in this part big time. I'll close with this. Most of you know who Dan Garlick was. I've used, I've spoke to him, I've spoke about him before in the past. But one of the things I observed in Dan's life, he used to tell everybody, if you ever went to lunch with him, it's the most interesting experience ever. He'd speak to the busboy, he'd speak to the girl who sat you down, he'd speak to the waiter, he'd go in the men's room, speak to another guy who's in the men's room. Everywhere you went, Dan talked, but he didn't waste air. Invariably, Christ came into it. And he spoke Christ. In his life, he's spoken to probably over a million people with the gospel all across the world. He was a humble man, very, very humble. And the one thing that Dan Garlick told me literally hours before he died was he said to me, Mark, Finish well. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. This morning I thought about those words. I thought about my age. I thought about all the years I wasted. Be perfectly honest with you. I squandered my youth in just sin. I squandered my early adult years in sin and in the pursuit of making money. And as I was sharing with some of the folks this morning, it wasn't until some of you young people say, man, you old man, but it wasn't until I hit 49, 50 that the Spirit of God said, you need to make a change. And it was there that I repented and I asked God, do something with me. You know, I used to play football and baseball. I wasn't one for sitting on the bench. I always wanted to be out on the field. I don't know anybody, any true athlete who ever says, boy, it's so good to have a uniform. I hope I never play. That wasn't me. I always wanted to play. Some are older than me. Some of you here are older than me. Some of you are younger than me. It doesn't matter. What impact will you have for the kingdom of God? You're not going to have an impact by being inactive. You're not going to have an impact by being inattentive to the scriptures, inattentive to the Lord in prayer. The only impact you will have for the kingdom of God is as you surrender totally and you allow the Lord Jesus Christ to make you an effective witness for Christ. May the Lord convict our hearts. May he challenge us in the depths of our soul. And may we as a people of God respond in repentance and obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
And we pray that, Lord, that you would lead us at this time to the table of the Lord. That as we gather, Lord God, that we would examine our hearts. And we would receive of the table of the Lord in a worthy and a holy manner. And Father, we pray that your word would go forth with authority and power. And may it accomplish, Lord, your intended purposes for your glory. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.